0: Hi, everyone. I'm Lottie Bowser, and you're listening to Lemonade, the podcast that amplifies extraordinary stories of adversity, courage, and resilience, so that you, too, can be reminded of your power. Every fortnight, a guest reveals the defining moments that have shaped their lives and the insights and tools they have learned that have helped them to thrive in the wake of their challenges. Season one is packed with incredible people, from activists to comedians, athletes, and authors. Don't forget to hit the follow button to be the first to know about every new episode and leave us a review if you like what you hear. Taylor, my love, welcome to the podcast. I'm so happy to speak to you today. You are one of the most, if not the most, positive force I have ever come across. You are just so inspiring to me and I know that so many of our listeners today are going to take so much away from this conversation. So thank you.
1: (laughs) Oh, thank you. That's so nice of you. I try to be as positive as I can. You know, we all have our down days, obviously, which I think we'll get into. But I think after Mm. going through what I've been through, I just I just have learned to never take a day for granted. And I think that's just always what I keep in the back of my head. So thank you so much for saying that. It's
0: absolute truth. I wanted to start by asking you a little bit about, um, and I'm going to butcher the pronunciation and perhaps you'll do a better (laughs) job, but the really rare condition that you were born with. Am I right in thinking it's pronounced Mebius Syndrome?
1: Yeah, so I think probably everyone in the world butchers it, myself included. People say Mebius. Some people say Mobius. It's spelled M-O-E-B-I-U-S, and I believe it is German. That is what I've been told all my life. So maybe it's Mobius, but who really knows at this point? Amazing. Don't even know.
0: I love that. I Don't even know if you're saying it right, but you know we'll, we'll go with it. <laughs> oh, bless you. Well, I was wondering if you might be able to tell us a little bit about the condition.
1: Um, so yeah like I said I was born with a really rare neurological disorder called Novia Syndrome Um, it is so rare that it only affects one individual in every 3 to 4 million which I used to hate but um, I love it now Like I'm so grateful that it's me that has the syndrome Um, and basically what it is is it's like facial paralysis so it affects my 6th and 7th cranial nerves which means my eyebrows don't move my eyes don't track from left to right and my upper lip doesn't move which means I can't smile Or I liken it to free Botox for
0: the rest of my life. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. That shit's expensive. You know, people pay a lot of money for this.
1: A lot of money. And it's not just like a one-off, like people have to keep going back. And I'm like, honey, I have it for free.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Oh my God. That just perfectly encapsulates, you know, the, the message that I want to share with this podcast. So thank you. You've already done it in the first couple of minutes. Taylor, what age were you when you had a feeling? Like, when did you become aware of this?
1: Um, I think, as I'm sure we'll get into it, you know, I was bullied from as young as I can remember, you know, the first day of school. I can remember being bullied and so I would say that from the age of around five but I'm sure I kind of had inklings here and there before that but um yeah my early childhood is definitely um dotted in terms of my memory because I just went through so much trauma but I'd say definitely as young as five I knew there was something about me that was different quote unquote different compared to everyone else
0: What was that experience like for you? You just mentioned that you, you know, experienced a lot of bullying. Would you be able to talk a little bit more about that?
1: It was definitely super lonely. I would say it's probably one of the best words to describe early kind of schooling years. Um, I was always excluded from things and not just by like my cares of people in my class, like it was from like teachers and stuff like that as well. I think I think in general as a society, and it's it still kind of happens, I guess, to this day, um, when people are like different or deemed as different or aren't like meeting the societal beauty standard, people find it a lot harder to kind of interact with people who are different from my experience and not just from my own personal experience but from talking to others and seeing it happen in real life. Um, and I think when you – have something like facial paralysis like I do or something that is physically different about you, it is made 10 times harder, I guess, to interact with people and people don't like that. People aren't willing, a lot of people um, aren't willing to see kind of below the surface. Um, And I think that really, that really developed into me having a really shy kind of nature and not coming out of my shell at all, which then added on top of it. So it was definitely made difficult from like as young as I can remember.
0: (laughs) Mm. Isn't it so fucked up that, you know, the it's essentially we're being conditioned from the get-go. I remember having Barbies in my hand when I was four or five years old really slender bodies, tiny waists, big tits. And it's like, you know, from the moment we are impressionable, we are told that there is a certain way to look. And if you don't fit within that very kind of narrow framework, you're, you're not good enough.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, 100%. So many of us battle with those feelings anyway because of what we see in the media and in advertising. There are few people that actually represent the masses. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would imagine to to feel that not only from the sort of onslaught of media, but to feel that from your peers this must have just been the most difficult experience.
1: Yeah, it definitely was a difficult experience. But I guess one thing for me is that it sounds kind of morbid and depressing, but it was normal for me to feel like that. So I think in a sense, I—I I, not only did I expect it, um, I, it was like a day-to-day occurrence for me, so it became normal for me. And I think potentially that may have saved me from a lot more hurt than I was already going to be going through. Um, but at the same time, like when I, I guess, explained to people, which I'm sure we're about to get into what I did go through in all of my schooling years and early childhood years, People are so shocked by what I say, but for me, because it was so normal, I don't think I'll ever fully understand how bad it was, if that makes sense. I know it sounds so bad, but like it was my day-to-day normality for me. And so I think, in a way, potentially, it saved me from a lot more hurt. I don't know. That's just the way I choose to see it.
0: (laughs) It makes sense to me. It makes sense. I suppose it's not like you knew a time where it wasn't happening. I think that, as human beings there's what we have limited capacity, and what you've been through is just it's it's so hard for the average person to even fathom yeah, definitely, definitely, and I think also, like you said,
1: it did become really normal for me, um but I'm so. <laughs> People are going to think I'm crazy for saying this, but I'm so grateful that it was me that went through everything that I went through because not only has it put me in a position where I'm able to inspire and then help others, which is always what I've wanted to do. Ever since a young age, like ever since a young girl, I wanted to be like a doctor or a nurse, but then I realized right there you have to be smart for
0: that. And I'm not the best at <laughs> books. So we're just going to leave it there. <laughs> um there's different kinds of intelligence right you have yeah,
1: we'll, we'll put it that way
0: <laughs> you have emotional intelligence by the bucket load and my god taylor you are already helping tens of thousands of people i've no doubt let's drill down into it if you wouldn't mind what was the extent of the the bullying that you endured?
1: yeah so so Pretty much, like I said, from as young as I can remember, I was always bullied. So it started off as just verbal bullying, you know, being called ugly or disgusting or worthless or that I had like a disease. I, they used to say that I had like a disease of some sort. I can't remember for the life of me what it was, but apparently I had some sort of disease. So <laughs> I just went with it. I was like, sure, yep, love that for me. Let's carry on with our day. Um, (laughs) and also you know my family and I moved around the country a lot as well for my dad's job so we were sort of always on the move I went to about I'd say throughout the span of my life probably about Six. six different schools maybe which for anyone would be hard but for someone who has all these added kind of quote-unquote disadvantages against them. Um, The cards were definitely stacked against me from the get-go. And so the first move that uh, my family and I made, I was around the age of eight years old, I want to say, and that was probably one of the craziest kind of times to move because you're kind of at that age where you're starting to to develop good friends. And, you know, I had a couple of, like, great friends that I had at this one school where I started but then I had to move, so it kind of just said goodbye to those people and did the move. Um, that first move was probably one of the first times I really experienced quite deep trauma. It was super hard starting at the new school. I'm not going to lie, i sugarcoat it. Um, I went for months without having any friends, was always isolated, always sat at a desk by myself when all the other kids were at, you know, like group desks. I was always sitting by myself. Teachers never really did anything about it. They just kind of swept it off or I'm not sure what they were thinking. Really, I thought I think maybe they just thought I was like shy or something or didn't want any friends, which is kind of illogical. So Completely. anyway, we'll um, <laughs> move past that. Um, people would start rumors about me or, you know, just like stupid little things that, you know, in the school people will believe. Whenever I would walk past groups of people, especially groups of guys, um, I would get like, not, I mean, I guess cat calls, but, like, in, I guess, a negative way, <laughs> if there's such thing. Um, but people would, like, throw stuff at me and, like, spit on me and, like, throw water on me with their water bottles and stuff. So that was, like, kind of the second school, I was at. And then we did a second move around the age of, like, I must have been 10, I reckon, because we weren't there for very long. I only about two years. So did the second move at age 10. Um, that was probably even harder. <laughs> got bullied even more at the school. Um, some parents got involved because kids had made up rumors again and I got yelled out outside like, a school gate one time after school. Apparently, I'd done something to someone. And here I was thinking, I don't really talk to anyone, so I'm not sure what's happening. We got called into the office. And, like It was a whole thing. Mm. And for some reason, I remember it so vividly because it was just so... Like, I was so petrified <laughs> in that moment. Um, and I look back at it now and just like, oh my God, Taylor, you were so fine. But, like, at the time, like, when you've been yelled at someone, it's like horrendous. So, Still being at that same school that I moved to the second time, um, and that last year, though, I had this really invasive facial operation, and it was called the smile surgery. Essentially, they took tissue from my right thigh and implanted it internally into both sides of my face, from the corners of my mouth up into my temples. Um, and the idea was that when I'd clench down my jaw, I'd be able to create or mimic a smile and of course, when you're like a 10, 11 year old girl and you're sitting in the surgeon's office and they're saying that there's a chance that you're going to be able to smile after like longing and wanting it for so long. Like I was just like, oh my God, this is going to solve all my problems. I'm going to be fine. I'm going to be pretty. I'm going to be beautiful. People are going to like me. People are going to want to be friends with me and all this sort of stuff. Like I had so much hanging on this operation. Mm-hmm. Um, and obviously <laughs> knowing what we know now it was unsuccessful. Um and the damage that it did to my face was so extreme
0: oh god
1: but not only did the swelling not go down for a good year I had to go back to school it like broke me and like I was an 11 year old girl and to be broken from such a young age um I guess that in itself is traumatizing and then little did 11 12 year old Taylor know she was about to go through even more The following year, I had to start a new school because that, that was my last year of primary school in New Zealand. So we then go into like intermediate and college um, years. So started year seven at this new school looking like a puffer fish. <laughs> it was not good. I remember my mum showed up to school one day without me knowing and I was sitting down myself eating my lunch. Mine, we were like halfway through the lunch recess at this point. And mum came up to me and she said, Taylor, where are your friends? And I quickly came up with this lie that they were coming from class. They were just finishing things. And like, I was the first one at our lunch spot. I think that's, I guess, where the lying started to my parents because I never really told them what school was like for me or that I was getting bullied. I don't know why. I think I just didn't want to be a burden.
0: And I'd imagine there's a degree of wanting to protect them from the truth because you oh, uh, are... 100%. You're an incredibly empathic person. You know, I get that oh, yeah. sense from you. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you're, you're more concerned yeah. about how other people are feeling and other people's experiences than perhaps your own.
1: Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I think even to this day, I still struggle with uh, telling, the sto- telling like my story through childhood, not for my sake, that I don't want to get anyone else in trouble for like bullying me, which sounds so twisted and backwards, but that's just... Oh, you know, you just never know what any, like what other people are going through and I think you know, people do stupid things and they may have known what they were doing or whatever, but I'm just grateful that it was me who went through all of that. So that whole first year at that new school, um, I didn't really have any friends and it was still I was still getting bullied and excluded and everything and it wasn't really until the end of of that year so if we rewind a little bit I kind of told teachers a couple of times that I was being bullied you know as you do you know you're always encouraged by teachers to tell them if you're being bullied or not and they always say that they take bullying very seriously and all that sort of stuff and I really believe that because obviously when you're a kid and you're being told something you kind of believe it.
0: And you would hope that adults you know that they would Provide a safe space for you, and that they would also know better. And I have a feeling that what you're about to tell us shows that they didn't, or at least they didn't no. act upon what they knew to be right and wrong.
1: No, definitely. So, I yeah, So like I said, I've told them a couple of times, and not that anything really bad happened after I told them. Like things like kind of ramped up, for a bit and then it was just left alone, and then someone new would come and bully me or whatever. Um, but I remember it was maybe like a month out from the end of year and this one group of individuals had been bullying me for quite some time. I was like, Okay, like I can't do this anymore, so I'm just going to like you know, tell the teachers. So I did and the following day um I get to school on the bus I'm on the bus get to school we all get off the school bus and everything and we walk up to kind of where the bathrooms were which is where kind of everyone met before going into class and I just remember feeling this huge push from behind me and someone had pushed me over grabbed my bag off my back and pushed me up against the kind of side of the bathroom and, and like put their hand like on my chest not really near my neck because like, I, like, I could still breathe but like I felt wounded. so it was definitely like on my chest. And they they basically just said, like their whole group was saying, if I ever, you know, tell the teachers again, then I'm going to get beaten up or something. I can't remember exactly, but something along those lines. And I think from then I was just so petrified that I didn't tell anyone. And I think fear has a way of drilling something into you that makes you not want to kind of come forward in those sort of instances.
0: Well, especially if you didn't see, you know, any improvements to people's behaviour, having notified the teachers in the fir- you know in the first or second instances, it's like, well, I'm, I bet there was a part of you that thought nothing's going to change. So what's the point?
1: Mm, yeah, definitely. So that that year finished, and I went into my second year at this new school, made a couple of friends here and there, um, and this is kind of when the physical bullying started happening. So people would come up from behind me and kick my knees and when I'd be walking upstairs so that I'd fall over and get grazes on my knees and I didn't – I found it really hard to make friends with people in my own year group and so um, I would, you know, talk to people in like years, like younger years or older years and then I'd get bullied for that so that was also really hard. Um, But then kind of halfway through that year I made (laughs) – friends quote unquote with a group of people a couple of years above me which I'm not sure if this was like a thing over in the UK or anywhere else in the world but when you were in school and you had friends who were older than you that was like the coolest thing ever you know (laughs) to like be friends with people older than you was like so cool (laughs) totally um (laughs) I'm glad I'm not the only one (laughs) um so when these like older kind of kids showed interest in them wanted to I guess help me, well help is what I thought in my eyes. Um, so was friends with them for a couple of years and one of the people that I was friends with in this older group was on the same bus as me. I got invited around to this person's house with their um boyfriend one afternoon and they just randomly started like making out in front of me. And I was like, I kind of feel uncomfortable right now. <laughs> but at, at, at that point, I was just like, this is like, <laughs> like bearing in mind, I was like 13 at this point, 13, 14. And I was
0: like. Mm. Yeah. And perhaps hadn't really been exposed to much of that before. Right. never, no, like it was
1: never, never. I was just like, mm, okay, kind of awkward, but like, I'm just here. So I'm just going to pretend to look the other way or something. I don't know. A <laughs> um, couple of weeks later, I was invited over again and I was like, Oh, this is so cool. I had to go around like bearing in mind this is like uncharted territory for me because at this point these like I've never really been around to friends' houses or anything. So that second time I went around was the first time I was ever sexually assaulted. I had no idea at that age what sexual assault was. I knew it wasn't normal or at least it didn't feel normal to me and I felt really uncomfortable. But at the same time I had no idea really what was happening. Mm. All those things mixed into one. At such a young age, it was like super damaging for me in terms of how I viewed relationships moving forward. In terms of like sexual, you know, loving relationship.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Well, there's there's so many layers to that. I would imagine having finally felt included and feeling as though these people were safe people for you, for them to have crossed. A boundary in such a horrific way Mm, would have completely shattered that feeling of safety. And then on top of that, you also have the sexual assault, which is utterly horrific. Mm. Oh, my goodness, Taylor. I (laughs) I
1: think also what made it worse is that, you know, I kind of... I think at some point along the way, I kind of voiced my uncomfortability with the whole thing. But the next day at school, they started a rumor that I had cheated on the friendship with the boyfriend or whatever. Like she started the rumor. No one picked up anything remotely to do with like rape or sexual assault. And
0: Mm. I think that just
1: goes to show collectively as a society, even now to this day, maybe how uneducated we are, at such a young age about rape and sexual assault, which is why I'm also so open about it now. But I think looking back on it potentially should have maybe spoken up to someone who was older than me and like maybe like a teacher or someone in, a, or like in, a, in like an authority position or something. But again, I was just so scared and petrified and just wanted to be accepted that I just kind of left it and swept it under the rug.
0: And I completely understand why you wouldn't have because you weren't made to feel, you know, seen or heard by any anyone up until that point, you know? Yeah.
1: So I, that kind of happened over the course of about two years and then I did my final move around the age of 16 um, up to Auckland where I live now and I had three years of school left when I moved up here. And at that point, I was just so broken and gone inside like when I tell you I was a shell of myself like there's no other way to describe it like there was nothing left inside me apart from just like my physical body the next three years I pretty much failed all of my classes in high school I just made it through with enough enough credits the first year um and then the second year so second to last year of school I actually didn't have enough credits to get through to the final year so I had to go back and do some tests during summer um which degraded me even further (laughs) Um, And then my final year in school, so 2015, 17 turning 18 is kind of when everything kind of came to a head and turned to shit for me. Um, It was about a month maybe into the final year of school and I had a huge collapse and seizure in the kitchen at home just before going to school. The ambulance was called, was rushed into hospital, had CT scans done, stayed in overnight in the ICU ward um, because they still couldn't figure out what was wrong with me and then was released next day. So I didn't have another seizure for about two weeks so I had another one was rushed into hospital again this time that happened at school um, so was rushed to hospital from school same thing had all the CT scans done and everything and everything came back clear and I remember going back to school the next day and uh, I instead of going to my normal class in the morning I was called into the like um, not the principal's office but like, um, like one of the dean's offices and she pretty much just sat me down and said Taylor we're going to have to keep you in this room by yourself because we think you're a harm to other students in case you were to have a seizure. <laughs> oh,
0: my God. I know,
1: right? I, I still can't believe like it was just handled. So it could not have been handled any more poorly than what it was. And I just sat there. I just remember sitting there, like, staring at the school for, like, hours because I couldn't do any schoolwork. I was depressed out of my mind at this point and just, like, felt horrible. So I was in that room for about two days and then... I, I believe it was that same week um, I was asked to leave the school, pretty much.
0: The, your reliability, we don't know how to deal with you, therefore not our problem, basically.
1: Um, essentially, yeah, in a nutshell. Um so, but at the time I was like, someone has just answered my prayers because I do not want to be here. <laughs> my whole schooling life, my whole schooling life, all I had wanted was to not be at school. And it had come it had gotten to that point and I was just like, Oh my god, thank God. So at that point I was like, No questions asked, let's get out of here. Kick the bags, and I was like, See you later. And it's so messed up. It, like every time I think back on it now, I'm like, holy shit, that was so bad. How, A, how it was handled and B, how willing I was to give up my basic human
0: right to education, <laughs> like in New Zealand at least, you know? Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> well, just, it just goes to show how insufferable it was.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, Anyway, so that, c- continuing on with that year, I was asked to leave school, so i never went back, never finished my final year exams, which I was happy about at the time. <laughs> um, and my seizures started happening every day. Um, so I was having seizures every day, and it got to a point near the end of that year of 2015 going into, into 2016 where I was having up to eight or nine seizures a day for the good part of about four or five months to have that much damage on your brain is I didn't realize how life-threatening it was so to to have just survived that was amazing in itself halfway through 2016 I was finally diagnosed with severe um, clinical depression and anxiety
0: with post-traumatic stress disorder and disassociative attacks which is what the seizures were so this was all of the trauma manifesting itself my body was shutting down
1: it was like on it was like on its last straw it's crazy and then on top of that I was also told that because it was so severe the damage that had been done that um I was told by professionals that I would never fully recover that I'd have to be dependent on my family for the rest of my life or in like some sort of care gosh how many years are we on now maybe six years on um, after that diagnosis and I can comfortably say that in the last two to three years I've not had one seizure um, oh my so, goodness yeah but it's a lot of hard work and dedication I yeah, can imagine a lot of hard
0: work and dedication went into that <laughs> this is a testament to you you know and, and your spirit and your resilience it's truly remarkable
1: mm, thank you <laughs>
0: So you've been diagnosed with, with these things. What next? What happened next? Uh, what, did, did it almost feel like a relief to, to sort of finally understand what was going on for you? Did it mark a turning point? Or
1: In one way, it was a relief because I finally had an answer as to why I was feeling it was good to finally have an answer as to maybe why I was going through that. But then, on the other hand, it unlocked this whole new beast <laughs> that I was I, that I was going to have to then get through. Bearing in mind, at this point, I thought I was going to be dealing with this for the rest of my life because I was being told that it wasn't it was going to be that hard for me to overcome all of this. Um, and I was put straight into intensive therapy. There was definitely talk of me going into like a like mental hospital, as in like a psychiatric ward, but. For some reason, I like put the halt on there. I was like, there's no way I'm going in there. I can't do it. Like I was petrified. I was put on medication straight away for two weeks. And within that two weeks, my my condition just deteriorated. I felt like I was going insane. I took myself off the medication, which I do not recommend um, because it could have gone so badly. But for, for the first time in my life, I think I was pretty lucky and nothing really drastic happened to me. And from that point on I was in intensive therapy for about two years every week, you know, talking about everything and, and then therapy on and off for the next two years. I'm not sure how you would explain it, but I think I kind of came to the realization that I was the only one that could really truly help myself. Um mm. and then I came across the book The Secret, um, which is all about, you know, like spirituality and everything. And that was like such a big eye opener for me and I think if I had not found that book, I don't think I'd be in that position today. And it definitely led me down like a a path of like quite heavy spirituality. Mm. I would say therapy helped along the way, but when I tell you I worked day in and day out reading books, doing journaling, all the things for a good three to four years, like there was not a day that I went where I did not do my practices of like meditation and journaling and reading books and, I really dedicated my whole time to bettering myself. Mm. You know, when other people were at uni or going getting jobs and everything, I was on this rehab journey. And I'm like, like, I have no words to describe how I think it helped me because, and that's why I'm so grateful for everything that I went through because Mm. I'm 24 now. And not not only have I been through probably more than what most people would go through in five lifetimes i've also been able to come out the other side and have this ability to connect with people and understand their trauma without really even needing to hear it from their mouth and also connect with people and inspire people and um i don't want to cry because it makes me emotional (laughs) um but i am just so grateful that it was me that went through
0: everything. Mm.
1: That's okay. This is a safe space. We can cry. You're going to set me (laughs) off. (laughs) Um, I'm just grateful that it was me that um, that went through everything. And Mm. while it was so hard and I wouldn't wish it upon anyone, um, I'm just so grateful that it was me because it has given me this, like, ability and empathy um to connect with others and show other people that no matter what you can be do and achieve anything you want to in this life no matter what no matter what other people tell you no matter what society tells you and to be like if you could tell like 11 year old taylor that 24 year old taylor was going to be a model and an advocate she would never have believed you but i think to be in this position now it's not only I'm, I don't, I'm not only dedicated to my younger self, but I'm also doing it for all those other little tailors out there who feel like they're not good enough or don't see themselves represented in society, because I never saw myself represented in society. So if I can do that for even one person, then everything that I've gone through is so worth it.
0: Oh, Taylor, it's just the most <laughs> inspiring, <laughs> extraordinary outlook to have after everything that you've been through, to be able to reflect upon it and feel as though, you know, there was so much good that has, has come from something so utterly horrific is just truly remarkable. And as I said, I think that's very much testament to you. You talked about these, these things helping you, but really Taylor, I feel that you helped yourself I really feel that, you know, you having turned this around, it's, it's down to you. It's what makes it such a lonely experience, but I think it's incredibly empowering as well. You know, the moment the penny drops and you realize actually everything that you need in order to, you know, navigate adversity is, is inside you.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: You know, you really unlocked that and it's just so awe inspiring.
1: And I think like, like you touched on, I think even from a young age I think all of us are either indirectly or directly taught to seek validation from external sources and that's also kind of added to all my trauma because I was always seeking validation from others because I thought that was what was going to bring me happiness and confidence and all that sort of stuff but I think, like you said, you know, when I was on my journey to re, like be- becoming better and becoming the best version of myself, I think the penny dropped for me, and I was just like, I don't need anyone else's approval. All I need is myself. And I think from that moment onwards, I have just like grown into like the best version of myself, and even. Mm even if I'm having a bad day, I just know who I am. And I think that is so powerful. and I always drill onto people. Having confidence in yourself and being grateful for your life and being grateful for being alive
0: is such, it's just so magical and can truly change your life. Mm, absolutely. And, you know, so long as we are alive, there are so many things to be grateful for. This is what I often think in the context of my loss, you know, I could... Essentially, lay down and die mentally, emotionally, spiritually as well. You know, wait for my physical body to expire, or I could look around me and think, "Fuck, what a blessing it is!" You know, I have so much. There is always something to be grateful for. A hundred percent. You you mentioned that you are practicing things like meditation and you're reading a lot of books, and I wondered if you could share a little bit more about what other practices you had that helped you. You mentioned a gratitude practice. What did that look like for you?
1: Well, I'll be honest. It started off really simple with quite literally just doing like a 30 minute walk a day. That's all it was. I just had to I think I found early on that if I had something in my day-to-day life that I was going to be able to stick to every single day, I knew that that thing would bring me happiness. And I knew that walking and listening to music or listening to a podcast or whatever, or just being outside brought me a lot of happiness. So I just started doing that every single day. And it kind of grew into this whole like daily ritual for me that really just solidified. And I think that essentially is what really helped me to get out of the depression mindset and anxious mindset that I was in. Um, so it started off with a thirty minute walk a day, and then I would introduce like maybe 10 pages of a book a day and my thirty minute walk a day, and then I found meditations, and then it was like a five-minute meditation a day, and then a 10-minute, and then a 20-minute. And it got up for like 30 minutes at one stage and just incorporating all these things throughout my day. And, as you know, know, I still do this to this day, but as soon as I wake up, I say some affirmations to myself. And as I'm waking up and going about my morning, I'll say them to myself. So it's just solidifying that, you know, you're starting off on a good foot each and every morning. As you mean Um, to go on. yeah. And then I think, um, somewhere along the lines I started putting reminders, daily reminders on my phone to um say something that I was grateful for at like a certain time in the day. I think it was like morning, lunchtime and nighttime, something along those lines. And I'm such a routine person that I think that sort of thing really helped me. And I think at one point it got up to like nearly half my day was just a routine of me going through these things that brought me happiness and joy and cleared my mind and really grounded me and you know, I just kept going and I kept pushing and even on the days where I wanted to give up, like there were so many days along my journey where I wanted to give up that there was just this voice inside of me and I don't know what it was, but something just kept telling me to keep going and keep pushing and you don't know what's around the corner and to keep mm. going and, you know, then I started some signs and I was just like, okay, I can do this, I can do this and then it just got easier with time and it became a habit, you know. Instead of having a bad mindset as a habit, it turned into a positive mindset, and you know, a habit of positivity and gratitude. And now it's like second nature for me; I don't even have to think about it. And I think that's why I'm at where I am now because I've changed my mindset and I've developed my mindset into one that I don't really have to work at now because I've done so many years of work behind it
0: yeah you've managed to to rewrite the internal narrative you 've broken those neural pathways that were being conditioned for however many years and you've've you've, you, you know you're telling a completely different story to yourself. I love that so much you like followed the thread of joy right just one or two little things every day no matter how delicate that thread felt and even when your mind Try to talk you out of it you managed to override it override it exactly and you know I often um would tell myself in the very early days of my grief after my my partner Ben died you know even if it doesn't make me feel better mentally and emotionally if I can just do something that is positive and nourishing for my body inevitably that will have a ripple effect and it will you know it will make me feel better mentally and emotionally too it's interesting that you
1: say that because I think along my journey I was grieving a lot for my old self as well because I don't really think I ever got a childhood and I think I was res- it became resentment for me along my journey as well and I think it's funny that you say that because I went through the exact same thing with while I didn't physically lose someone I think. I was losing a part of myself that because that's all I'd ever known, I was attached to that version of myself. And even though it was such a negative thing for me and I didn't like the way that it made me feel, I was so attached to that because
0: that's all all I'd ever known. Mm -hmm. I can totally understand why you would feel that way. Taylor, you're also an incredible athlete. We have to talk about the role that sport has played In your life, because from the age of nine you were swimming competitively, and then back in 2018 you joined New Zealand's para athletics team. Could you talk a little bit more about that and how that helped you, if at all?
1: Yeah, so I was a competitive swimmer from like the age of nine. Sport was really the only thing that was a constant in my life, so I think that in itself really helped me. Was Possibly a form of therapy for me without me even knowing it at the time and you know when you're underwater and you can't hear anything and it's just you and a black line it's quite therapeutic I competed for New Zealand as a Paralympic athlete from the age of about 14 I want to say somehow got into athletics I think it was maybe the Paralympic athletic body here in Auckland um, and they rang and asked if they wanted to give athletics a go and I was like sure that I won't be running anywhere so if I can throw something that'd be fab <laughs> <laughs> um because Taylor does not run Taylor would not run if her life depended on it I will cow walk no but me she later. won't
0: run
1: <laughs> <laughs> running is not for me <laughs> So rocked up to the athletics track. Um, The guy who was there with me said, he just handed me a shot put and was like, stand at the front of the circle and just give it a throw. And I was like, what do you mean give it a throw? Like, how do you throw a shot put? And he was like, just do it like you did in school. So I was like, okay. So I just stood there and quite literally just did it like I did in school. And he stopped and looked at me and then looked at the shot put and then got on his phone. And I was like, okay, this is weird. And then about five minutes later, two other people joined us at this, you know, shot put circle. And he was like, can you throw it again? And I was like, okay, sure. So I threw it again and then they measured it and they said, Taylor, you've just broken the New Zealand record in your classification. And I was like, oh, okay. (laughs) Interesting. It's funny because from that moment, between December of 2017 and February of 2018, I had about three training sessions, had never competed. And then, come February 2018, I find myself in Melbourne, Australia, with the New Zealand team competing at my first competition, which just happens to be an international competition. And I was like,
0: insane. Fabulous.
1: I was riddled with anxiety. My parents did not come. Here I was just being thrown into the deep end, and somehow I managed to stay afloat. Anyway, I put my shoes back on. I do the next three throws. And so at the end of the competition, they call out, you know, your placing from 8th to 1st. They did not say my name in 8th, 7th, 6th, 5th, or 4th. And I was like, maybe I've been disqualified. <laughs> I literally was like, I've definitely been disqualified. Anyway, they get to third, they didn't send their name, get to second, they didn't say their name. There was no one left. And still in my head, I was like, I've been disqualified. <laughs> like, that's the only logical solution I could come up with in my head. Um, they, they go, and then in first place, Taylor. And I was
0: like, oh.
1: I was oh like, my are you goodness. sure? I remember saying I remember saying, Are you sure? And they were like, We're sure.
0: That's absolutely incredible.
1: <laughs> I love how It was my first response though. <laughs> are you sure? Are
0: you sure? Do you want to check that again? <laughs>
1: Um, And then so we get onto the podium and they they say, you know, they're they're giving out third and second and then they go, "Um, Taylor from New Zealand got first and she's also just thrown a distance that got her world number one in her classification. Like like that first thing on my vision board came true and i have not really done anything.
0: I can imagine that was really hard to believe. Like what is happening right now?
1: I still don't really believe it, to be quite honest. I
0: know, you're so <laughs> nonchalant about it. You're like, yeah, you know, i got a world record, no big deal. I'm like, um, can we just take a fucking moment to acknowledge how incredible that is? <laughs> the world
1: record came a year later. So we kind of went into off season straight after that competition. So I trained kind of full time all of that year. Um, I ended up qualifying, wrote the world record at nationals and everything, which was great was set to keep training and go off to world champs and then got injured. And I took the two weeks off with my injury and was just so happy not training and not Mm. doing anything with athletics. I never went back. People ask me all the time. They're like, do you think you'll ever go back? Like, do you think you'll ever go back sport? And I'm like, fuck no, like could not think of anything worse.
0: Yeah. And I think there's a really important message there, Taylor, in that, you know, just because you're good at something, you know, it doesn't mean that you should feel obligated to, to pursue it. Right. Because really, the most important thing is whether or not it brings you joy, it sparks joy and it makes you feel fulfilled. And if it wasn't doing either of those things, then, you know, it wouldn't have been productive for you mentally. Yeah.
1: Yeah yeah definitely and I think I think I was already at a point I knew that I had to put myself first I probably would still be competing now if I hadn't given up then and I'm on such a fulfilling career path and journey now that I'm so grateful that I'm not an athlete
0: yeah there's yeah
1: that's really it
0: really yeah in in exercising your right to to say no and Mm. To have empowered yourself in that way, it actually created space for you to really get in alignment with your with your highest purpose which is everything that you're that you're doing now and perhaps you can tell us a little bit of, about what it is that you're doing
1: yeah so um I signed with a modeling agency which <laughs> is so exciting yeah I signed with Z B D Talent which um, is the world's leading inclusion and diversity um, agency so that was so cool if you had told my 11 year old self that I'd be a model and going into the entertainment industry and wanting to be an actor. Like the fact that I want to be an actor is like like wild to me mm. and to be doing advocacy work and doing all my social media stuff, you know, Instagram, TikTok, YouTube, all that sort of stuff. It is just so exciting. And I'm like, it fills me with so much happiness and joy and passion. And I have this like fire in my belly every time I talk about it.
0: Yeah, it really translates. I feel it. And I I actively seek out your gorgeous face on my like stories (laughs) (laughs) Um, feed on Instagram. I'm like, what nuggets of wisdom and joy and positivity does Taylor have for me today? And every day you have such an incredible message to share
1: sometimes I like go get my stone like maybe I should delete that because it did not make sense in my head but then I get all these messages from people and they're like that made so much sense or that helped me and I was like oh at this point I don't know what I'm doing I'm just spitting out words yeah <laughs> and
0: don't ever filter yourself because I feel like there's so much of that online it's so so much of you know the content we see these days is like so contrived and so you know censored And I think. Your, your rawness and your authenticity is, well, they're two things out of many things that make you so magical and such, a, such an incredible person to follow. So don't change what you're doing. <laughs> it's working. Oh, thanks. <laughs> Thank you. Now, Taylor, you, you touched upon this earlier, but I, I wanted to ask again, if there was a message that you could share to anybody listening today that might be going through bullying or a trauma of some kind themselves. What is it that you would like to say to them?
1: Oh, this one always makes me tear up, so I'm going to try and hold it together. (laughs) Um, But whenever I get asked this question, I always put myself into the shoes of what, like, maybe 10, 11, 12, 13-year-old Taylor would want to hear. And while I didn't realise it at the time, the main thing I wish I knew when I was younger is that there is only one of me in this world and there is only one of you in this world. Um, And I think that in itself is so magical. But I think when you really delve into it deeper, we are so driven to want to look like or be like or act like the standard in society that was painted for us long before we were even alive. And while it changes throughout the years, it's still kind of hyped up to be everything that it's not because they're not even real. I think there is so much power in being yourself Um, To anyone who is going through bullying or trauma, I know how hard it can be and I know all you want to do is give up, but just don't give up because you never, it sounds so cliched, but you never know what is around that corner. As soon as you give up, that's it. It's all done and you can't undo it. You can't change it. You can't take it back. It's done. So just don't give up you are so much more capable and resilient and way stronger than you think way stronger than you think and you've got this
0: i love that so much thank you so much my love for sharing that that was amazing if you could bottle up your own brand of lemonade with the lemons that you've been given oh. and everything mm. <laughs> and everything that you have learned along the way what would some of your core ingredients be
1: belief strength confidence so much confidence the ability to love yourself unconditionally no matter what in strength i think there is so much power and strength and knowing your worth and knowing that you are capable to get through anything that it is that you are going through not only that but you're capable of achieving whatever it is that you want to achieve so yeah a big old bottle of all of that maybe a little bit of craziness as well oh yeah for good measure absolutely <laughs>
0: Taylor, where can my listeners find you, my love?
1: Well, I am on Instagram, TikTok and YouTube. Instagram and TikTok are just Taylor Clement, so T-A-Y-L-A and then C L E M E N T. And then YouTube is the same, but then also potentially under the girl who can't smile. But I can, but people just said that, so I went with it. It's
0: oh it's incredible. You're incredible, my love. Thank you so, so much for taking the time to share some of your magic with us. Keep doing what you're doing because you inspire me to no end. Thank you for having me.